You know, being a follower of Jesus in the 21st century, I think can sometimes be difficult for lots of different reasons. But I think one reason is that oftentimes we face some really complex issues and we're not exactly sure how we should even respond in our world to some of these issues. And I think when we think of all the various topics that would be in the complex category, I think the LGBTQ issue is one of the most complex and just one of the heaviest topics, uh, issues that are, we're facing in our world. And oftentimes believers just kind of throw their hands up and say, I just don't even know how to think about it. I don't know how to respond. Sometimes we can just kind of shut down with frustration or with confusion or even with fear. But the world is talking about LGBTQ. And so as believers, we have the truth, and so we must talk about it as well. We're doing ourselves a disservice if we don't. So for those of you that aren't sure what these letters mean, the L stands for lesbian, the G is for gay, the B is for bisexual, the T is for transgender, and the Q is for queer. And so this morning, we're going to talk through, from the biblical standpoint, what all this means. So first of all, I want us as a church to better understand the LGBTQ community, understand who they are, where they're coming from, and have hearts that can be tender towards them, and know that it's not even always them, but these realities exist in the church. It is not us or them. It is a humanity reality. So we need to understand what this means, first of all. And secondly, I want us to think about how to think critically. So from a biblical worldview, we need to think critically on what this is. And then lastly, and most important, is how should we respond? And when I say that, I mean in a God-glorifying, gospel-centered Jesus-exalting way, in a way where people know that they are loved and that they can belong to the people of God and have eternal joy and hope and purpose. And, And if we are called to have this message and be the ones that bring God's renewal to Bill County and the world, then we have to begin to understand LGBTQ and how it impacts our lives today. So let's jump in with, first of all, what the word queer even means. Now, some of you may not even be exactly sure. Now, not too long ago, the word queer actually was a pejorative, like a derogatory, an insulting term. And yet, it no longer is that. Now it has been embraced by the LGBTQ community. The word queer, technically the dictionary just means unusual or strange or different. But it has come to mean far more than that today. 
So the word queer is intentionally vague. So even those in the LGBTQ community on purpose use the word queer in a way that you can't quite pinpoint it. It's, it's designed to be a somewhat ambiguous term, but it covers everyone that would be in the non-heterosexual norm. And so anyone that is not in the heterosexual category would be generally under the queer category. So queer is an umbrella term. And so think of it in those terms. And in this, in this line of thinking, sexuality is very fluid anyway, and it, and it really has a spectrum. So anyone that would be on the LGBTQ spectrum, would, again, non-heterosexual, would be under this heading of being queer. So this is the way that they think about it. So they don't think of sexuality as being binary, so as being male and female. It's not just two. There is many, many um, genders and sexualities understood to be a vast spectrum. So reading a lot of articles and blogs this week to get my mind around this a little bit more, the way this is described oftentimes is that one's sexuality is individual to the particular person. So each individual person has their own unique sexuality, and each individual person has an individuality to express their sexuality. And so everyone defines sexuality to a large degree individually, so for one's self. And the language is along the lines of, this is who I am. Or we don't need everyone else to define who I'm supposed to be. Language like, let's just celebrate our differences. And don't put me in a box to try to define who I am or who you want me or who you think you need me to be. And so to be queer is to be part of a community. It really has. So the word queer, on one hand, it's an orientation. So it's a non-heterosexual orientation, but it's also a community. And so to be queer is to be part of something bigger than yourself. It means to be part of other people that are outside of the heterosexual norm, and they find great support and encouragement And it's really considered, and it's described as the queer or LGBTQ community. So this is the mindset. This is where the world is coming from. Now, if you oppose this, if you try to squash someone's individuality or say, no, that is not the purpose or God's design for your sexuality, any language like that or any, any talk of sex being binary and so being just two options, male and female, any kind of language like that, you are going to be perceived as being oppressive and judgmental and harsh and unloving. You're going to be called a bigot. You're, you're going to be removing someone's civil rights. Like, there's, this, is, this is the mindset. And this is how our world perceives and is understanding where they're coming from. So we need to think very clearly 
about where people in this community live and the space in which they operate. Now, let's think through transgender identity. So this is the T in the LGBTQ. So in this worldview, there is a distinction between your sex and your gender. Those are two different things. And so in, in this thinking, your sex is your physical form. So this can include down to your chromosomes. This includes your sex organs. So your body has a physical sex. So they would admit that that is objective, that you have an objective sex. However, there's a distinction between sex and gender. Gender is not objective. Gender is subjective. Your gender is how you feel or how you operate, how you live out your sex. But gender and sex are not necessarily the same, and there is a distinction and a separation between your sex and your gender. So how you feel, how you act might be different from your objective physical body form. And so you have people that feel as though they are a man that is trapped in a woman's body, or vice versa, a woman that is trapped in a man's body. Now, transgender, from what I've been doing a lot of reading on this, is it's, it's kind of an umbrella term as well. So transgender, from what I, I can deduce from this, is that it, it can cover many different experiences, but for the sake of time and to just give you the big picture of what we're talking about here, very generally or basically, transgender describes people whose internal, emotional, so subjective sense about their sexuality, their identity, doesn't match up with their physical form that they were born into. So how they feel and their actual physical body don't match up. And so someone with a transgender identity can live with internal mental friction, or what I call cognitive dissonance. Harmony is the opposite of being dissonant. When it's harmonious, then, well, it sounds good, and it fits together, like, like the band playing. You want harmony. When it's dissonant, that's jarring. That, that music will, will grate on your nerves, make your skin crawl, and you just kind of get a tick whenever it's dissonant. Well, people with, with a transgender identity can live with this mental dissonance where what their body says, you're a man, but they feel like they're a woman, or it could be a man that really desires to be a woman, or vice versa. A woman, physically, but who feels like, identifies as, and desires to be a man. So a trans man is a female in sex who lives in the world as a man. Or a trans woman is a male in sex but lives out the female gender. 
And so this is what we're talking about. And this has really hit the news when you talk about the transgender and using like locker rooms or bathrooms. And so you're going to have a grown man who identifies as a woman. He feels like a woman. And so he is physically a man, but he's a trans woman. And so this trans woman may wear female clothing, and sometimes in a lot of cases, and a small percentage, but those that have the resources and desire actually will go through different surgeries that we used to call sex change. It's not called a sex change surgery. It's now called a gender affirmation surgery. So to have gender affirmation surgery, it means let's do the hormone treatment and the actual surgery so that this person that has the wrong sex can be affirmed in the gender of how they actually feel. This is our world. This is where we live and where your children, your teenagers, are operating and are navigating this space at school. It's real. And we can't have our heads just stuck in the sand and think that it's not. There are people that say that they're not male or female. They'll identify as both or not exclusively as either. And on Monday, this person would dress as a woman and be a woman. And on Tuesday, dress like a man and live out being a man, and then take turns, and vice versa, and there's a blurring of the lines, and there's no distinction between male or female. And as believers, we look at that, and first of all, our heads kind of cock, and we're like, okay, I don't know how to think about that. Or we throw our hands, our hands up and say, I give up. I just don't even... I, I, I just got to go to homeschool. <laughs> and that is a viable option. And a lot of our church members do that, and I affirm that we've homeschooled for years as well. But even if you homeschool your kids, eventually they're going to turn 18 and go off to college. You can homeschool them forever. You can homeschool them and teach them until they're adults and they're ready to face the world. And so that is our calling as parents, is to prepare our children for manhood and womanhood. Whether you choose to do that by homeschooling or public school is irrelevant to how God leads you. Either way, we have to prepare our children to face this world. Let's talk about same-sex attraction because that's different from transgender. So the word gay in the LG, so the G stands for gay, that typically refers to a gay man. So a man that is attracted, he's a man, feels like a man, he's a man, but he is attracted to other men. Now the word gay can be used for women, but usually the word lesbian, which is the L in LG, LG, BTQ, the L is for lesbian. So this is a woman that is attracted to women. And so this is a romantic and a sexual attraction to the same sex. But again, there's many different degrees within this worldview and its thinking. The argument is you can't change how you feel. 
just like a straight man can't help that he finds women attractive. A straight woman can help that she finds men attractive. Well, a lesbian or a gay man can't help themselves. This is, they get aroused. They're attracted. They're romantically desiring someone of the same sex. And they didn't choose this. It's not that they woke up and said, I want to be gay. They have these desires that they feel like they can't change. That's part of who they are. It becomes their identity. And you just embrace this reality. This is just how I am. I am attracted to the same sex. So this, again, this is the thinking. And I spoke to several teenagers, again, even this week, including my own children. And this is such a topic. I mean, our, our kids can't get through one day at school without having one LGBTQ comment, joke, something. That it comes up on a daily basis. This is everywhere. It has saturated our culture. What does God have to say about the transgender and the same-sex attraction? Well, we need to begin at the beginning. We've just spent the last two weeks. Two weeks ago, we talked about what it means to be a man. We talked about manhood and how manhood in itself, and so being a man is a display of the glory of God. And we talked last week about womanhood. And how being a woman is by God's design to be a display of the glory of God. And so the masculine heart and the feminine heart both are designed to display, to reflect the heart of God. So when we think along these same lines, go back to Genesis chapter 1, we've been the last two weeks, and you see that God created male and female. There's only two options. There's not a fluid spectrum with sexuality. There are two sexes, male and female. And this difference of being a male or a female, a man or a woman, are part of what it means to be a human. It's part of being an image bearer, and as an image bearer, you reflect the image of God. You reflect his glory as a man or as a woman. This is, this is part of who you are as being made to reflect the image of God. And so God creating us as a man or as a woman has purpose. It's not a random thing. It was God's idea and God's design, and it is good to be a man or a woman. It's about worship. Again, the last two weeks. It's about a life lived within the purposes and design of God, enjoying his gifts and living for his kingdom, enjoying his presence, the way that God has designed us to live. So it's all about the glory of God. But remember something. We have an enemy. Satan's heart burns with hatred for God. Therefore, if you reflect the image of God, how do you think Satan 
feels about you. He can't stand to look at you. He can't stand to hear your voice because we have a God who speaks. And so therefore, we speak. He hates what you look like. He hates your DNA. He hates your voice. He hates everything. He hates how you smell. Everything about who you are as a human, Satan can't stand you. And he wants nothing more than to devour you, to destroy you, and to rob you of everything in your life that you love or hold dear to you. We have a very real enemy. The serpent that tempted our father and mother is still very alive and very active today. Because as image bearers, when we reflect the strength and beauty and wisdom and mercy and creativity and the love of God, we are showing what God is like and Satan wants to squash that and to destroy you. And our enemy is deceiving multitudes with this lie that your sex and your gender are two different things and that your sex is objective and that your gender can be fluid or that you define it. That is a lie from the enemy. He is lying to us. He wants us to believe that we can redefine who we are, that somehow God lied and that God messed up and that he made you wrong. That's a lie. It goes against God's design. It's saying that God blew it and God did not blow it. He didn't. We don't have the freedom to remake ourselves. We don't have the freedom to redefine ourselves. We do have the freedom to receive God's gifts. We have the freedom to know our God. We have the freedom to worship him and to graciously receive his design and to receive his purpose. This we have the freedom to do and the power of the spirit because of Christ's work on the cross. We can do it. Not in our own strength, but by the power of God. How we respond to our sex and as our friends try to separate gender, but they're not. Sex and gender are one and the same. How we respond to our created design says something about how you respond to God himself. Because God designed you the way you The problem is that we no longer live in the Garden of Eden where it was pure and perfect. So our response to God for all of us is rebellion. We follow our father and mother, Adam and Eve's example, and we rebel against what? We rebel against God's love, against God's design, his purpose, against himself. We rebel against God and against our selves as his image bearers. And so what happens is we reject 
what God has designed for us. I want to spend a few minutes in a text. I've been talking big picture, but I want to be in one text for the remainder of our time in Romans chapter 1. And I want us to see the human condition, how we should respond, and specifically to the LGBTQ realities in our world. Romans chapter 1, beginning verses 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So here you see sinful humanity's response to God. God reveals who he is, and we put our hands in our ears and say, no, 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 I can't hear you. We deny it. We suppress the truth of God, it says here, in unrighteousness. We deny that God is real or deny his truth or his plan, his purpose, his design. And in our brokenness and in our woundedness, in our sinfulness, we reject God. We reject God's love, his wisdom, his plan, his purpose, we push back and we reject it. We all are rebels. Not just those that have LGBTQ orientation. Every one of us are rebels. Sin just bubbles up from inside of us. Our heart is a factory that just produces it. We're all Fallen. Verse 21 describes how God's, well, verse 18, that God's wrath is upon us. And verse 21, let's read that, describes the results of our rebellion. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Did you catch that? They knew God, but did not honor him or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Man, that is humanity. This is what human nature is left to itself. We do not honor God, and we do not thank God. You want to know what it looks like to be lost spiritually? There's a summary. There it is. The person who does not know God the person that is separated from God, the person who does not have the new nature, all they have is a sinful nature of Adam. They're not in Christ. They're only in Adam. They're spiritually lost and on a road headed to hell. And what does that look like? They don't thank God and they don't honor God. That is the summary statement of what lostness looks like. But what else does it say? The results of this lostness is what? Futile thinking. So corrupted, worthless thinking. And it says foolish hearts are darkened. So your mind and your heart. So all of you, your entire person 
is, says is in darkness and corrupted. This is the plight of humanity. And we all feel it. We all know it. We know that something in this world has gone terribly wrong. We know that this world isn't how it should be. We know it. We know that there's death and disease and divorce and war. And we, we think, no, the world should not be like this. You're right, it shouldn't. But because of sin, it is. And we know that we need help. That we cannot fix this. We cannot change ourselves or change this world. We live in it, but we are equally corrupted. Verses 22 through 31 give us three examples of how sinful humanity rejects God and chooses an idol instead. So it's describing an exchange. So exchanging who God is for a fake. And there's three of them. Let's read that, verses 22 through 31. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged, there's the first exchange, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So therefore, what did God do? Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity and to dishonoring their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. There's a second one, exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So for this reason, as a result, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that were all contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And here's the third one. For since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind who ought to do what ought not be done. For they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil. Listen, it's not just being gay. Evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, Murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Let's go through these three and talk about them briefly. The first one, exchange the glory of God for images. This is verses 22 through 24. So the first exchange, humanity left to ourselves will exchange the glory of God and instead choose to worship images. And so these images are idols. And so at its core, sin is a worship problem. An idol is when you worship anything that's not 
God when your heart yearns for, desires something more than you desire God. Idols are counterfeits. They promise to deliver. They promise to bring you happiness, hope, freedom, joy, excitement. They promise it. And yet, they leave you empty, enslaved, depressed, and wanting more. A counterfeit is a fake. Exchanging the glory of God for images. And so, yes, there are people that go after the image of LGBTQ. But there are heterosexuals that go for pornographic images, the image of digital sex. And there are, there are heterosexuals that also immorally heterosex. So the goal is not be heterosexual because we can heterosex immorally quite easily. It's describing here giving up the glory of God for a lesser glory, giving up that which is all satisfying. It, it would be as though, as it would be, but it's like God saying, I know what satisfies your soul. I made your soul. I know what it needs. It needs me. Here, I'm offering you living water. And you look at it and you think, hmm, it doesn't look that good to me. And then you take a sip and say, Blah, I don't want that. And so then you don't want that water. And so you go digging in the ditch, trying to find your own water, digging and digging and saying, God, I don't want you. I don't want your joy or your purpose. I don't want your water. I don't want any of that. I'm going to find my own water. And I'm going to dig for it until I find it. And I'm going to suck on this dirt until I die. I don't want you or anything to do with you. I'll find it myself. I'll do this on my own. I don't need you. I don't want anything you have to offer exchanging the glory of God for images, for idols. That is evil. What evil is? Saying, God, I don't want your water. I don't want it. Man, I'm thirsty, but I don't want your water. I got this. That's pure evil. But the second one exchanged truth for a lie. Verses 25 through 27, it says, worshiping and serve the creature rather than the creator. And so what is this lie? The lie is that something created can satisfy your soul. That's the lie. When the truth, what, what is the truth? Jesus said it, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That is the truth that we exchange for the lie. And we have a God that says, I sent my son to die for you, and I offer you myself, 
And then we say, not interested. Great evil. The essence of all evil. All evils spring from that essence right there. And so what is the result? We, we just read it. It says, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And so men and women giving up says natural relations. This is describing the LGBTQ. Now, I've, I've spoken to many people that are in the LGBTQ community, and they reinterpret this to say, well, this is describing a straight man that wants to dabble in homosexuality. And it's unnatural to him because, well, he's straight. But for me, it is natural because I'm actually gay. So this is natural for me. That is not looking at the text in context at all, and nor is it looking at God's design from Genesis 1 and 2. It's very easy to twist Scripture to fit your preferences, but we have to read it in context. We can exchange the truth for a lie. And the heart of LGBTQ is a desperation. It's a crying out for glory. It's a desperation for glory. It's not a display of glory. Let's be very clear. LGBTQ is a distortion, not a display of God's glory. But at its heart's cry, it is a desperation for glory. Number three, we just read, exchange the knowledge of God. So do not acknowledge God. This is verses 28 through 31. So exchanging the knowledge of God for a corrupted mind. It says a debased mind. So all three of these are exchanging the real thing for a fake. God's glory for an image. Exchanging the truth for a lie. Exchanging the knowledge of God for a corrupted mind. This, this text is just beautiful. It's not about intellectual knowledge of God. It's about knowing God. It's about truly knowing him and enjoying him and not rejecting him. Because if we're honest, every one of us desires evil things. We all do. It's part of being a human. And verses 29 through 31 describe a very um, difficult-to-read list for all of us because it's clearly not just LGBTQ. It is all of us. It describes sins like strife and envy and being arrogant and disobedient to parents and, and foolish and heartless And so the main issue here isn't being gay. The main issue here is not worshiping God. Being a believer means finding treasure. The pearl of great price. It's it's having treasure in heaven. And so a believer is someone that has said, I have looked through the refuse of the world and none of it satisfies. None of it is good enough. Jesus is better and I have found the treasure. That's what it means to worship Jesus. And it transforms our hearts. 
And it frees us from the sin that would entangle us and drive us far away from God. In verse 32, as a summary here, it kind of a bookend with the beginning of the section. It ends with saying, Though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things, this is talking about LGBTQ in particular, but sin in general, it says deserve to die. We all deserve to die because of sin. It says they not only do them, not only do the sin, but give approval to those who practice them. And so in particular, the LGBTQ community has been very good at lobbying in Washington and passing legislation and saying, if you oppose our our ideology, then you need to be silenced. And this advocacy and this approval is what you're seeing in verse 32. How do we respond? That's the key, is it not? How in the world do those who have Jesus respond to LGBTQ? First of all, talk to your kids. They hear about it. Don't pretend they don't. They do. Talk to your kids. This morning, my wife, Bonnie, is teaching in Renewal Kids. And same lesson like every week, what, what's preached here, we discuss in home groups, and the, and the kids also learn it on their level. But what she's doing is ingenious. She's such a great teacher. Is She's giving these kids all like these dirty, muddy rocks and has hold of them, they get their hands dirty holding these rocks and say, oh, and then she's going to exchange those rocks for something that looks more valuable, like another rock that looks like it's gold, but it's just paint. So it's not actually valuable. It looks valuable, but it's a fake. It's not really gold. It's just a painted rock that looks gold. And ultimately, she's going to show them that at the end, exchange that for a, a beautiful, um, like a, Diamond, it's not, they're not real diamonds, we bought them at Walmart, but, but like a crystal that is meant to show beauty and brilliance. And so we're teaching our children this morning on exchanging that, that dirty rock for a diamond, for the real thing, for that which is valuable and beautiful, desirable. And so parents... Talk to your children about God's plan and his design. There are people that don't know God. There are people that don't know, but we love them. We don't hate them. They're not the enemy. Jesus died for them. So talk to your kids. So that's the first thing I'll say. But in regards to how we respond beyond very important teaching our children, John 1.14 It says, and the word became flesh, this is Jesus, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came to rescue us, to die for our sins. It says he came full of grace and truth. So how do we respond to LGBTQ, just like Jesus, full of grace and truth. That's how we respond. So let's think about truth for just a few minutes. 
the very essence, the very existence of same-sex attraction and of transgender desires, the fact that that even exists tells us that the world is broken. And people are wounded and are hurting and their desires are not right because the world is not right. Because that's why Jesus came. And we've been turned over, like we read in Romans 1, to our sin. And so we must point people with desires like these, point them to the truth of wholeness in God without apology. Saying you can worship God and that is not a burden. It is not oppressive to tell someone worship God. That is hope and joy and life and purpose. It is not bigotry. And so we point people to the truth that only Jesus can satisfy. And I know the arguments. Yeah, but we're a committed, faithful gay couple. Don't Christians value faithfulness and commitment? And I would say, well, of course we do. But being faithful and committed to your sin doesn't make that sin right. It doesn't. We ought to be committed and faithful to God and within God's design, not faithfully and committed outside of God's design. We respond with truth. We call it what it is. It is a sin that Jesus came and died for. Not the only sin, but it is definitely a sin and a corruption of what God made good. We speak to truth, but we do it with grace, full of grace. If we had a couple that came in here and we knew, or say you knew that they were cohabitating, so they lived together and they're not married, and they came in here, what would you do with that couple? Would you say, get out of here, sinner? Wait, you don't belong here. We don't want your kind in this church. People here have it all together. Of course not. We would say, come, come sit. Here, let me get you a coffee. Here, come to my home group, right? We would want them to know Jesus and, and to find wholeness and healing and freedom to get married. Like, but we would love them, wouldn't we? The answer is, yes, we would. If a gay couple came in here, what would you do? Would you freak out and say, oh, no, you can't sit here. We don't, we don't serve your kind. No. What's more evil? That heterosexual couple that's cohabitating or the gay couple? Or that guy looking at pornography on Saturday night before church on Sunday? What's more evil? They're all sexual sin. They're equally bad. Jesus died to save us from all of those sins. We would love that gay couple. We'd say, here, come to my home group. We'd say, here, come sit here. We'd get to know them. We would love them. We would show them the love of God. And be gracious to them. Point them to Jesus, obviously. But we do that with everyone that comes in our doors. We would be full of truth and grace. We would point people to the Savior. That's 
what we're about. Spreading God's renewal, is it not? Why are we even here if we're not about this? Same-sex attraction and transgender desires exist, I guarantee it, in this room. This room is just too big. And even if, oh, we're not that big, we're big enough. It's just a reality of our broken world. I have talked to for many years, many different times, believers who love Jesus that have a same-sex attraction. Just like I've talked to many guys that struggle with pornography or other sins or, or overeating. That's also a sin, by the way. It's called gluttony or pride, or laziness, or impatience, or gossiping, or slander. These are all sins that believers struggle with. And same-sex attraction and transgender is another struggle under the sun that Jesus came to give us freedom from. And if you have someone in your home group or tabletop group that opens up to you and says, I, I have this struggle, you know what you say? You say, thank you. Thank you for sharing something so hard. Thank you. And then you say, let's pray. Let's seek God together. I'll, I'll, I'll help you. I, I will be kind to you. You're my brother. You're my sister. And together, we can find freedom and healing. So often in my experience, the problem is just we have fathers that didn't father their sons well. And so then there's trauma and there's pain and they grow up and Satan comes in and, and then you have all kinds of corruption and, and pain. But you have a father who loves you and wants to father you well. And little girls that grow up without a loving father and they also get confused and they, they don't understand healthy relationships with men. And that's such a whole other sermon on what leads to this. Our time is expired. There are hurting people, including in this room, that I know Jesus wants to heal. And I'll make one last distinction as we close. There's a difference between a gay lifestyle and a gay orientation. There are even believers that really do have a gay orientation, like they have to struggle, just like we have, we all have struggles. But they're fighting with the spirit. They're walking in the light. They're in accountability. They're, they're getting counseling. They're, they're not giving in. So yes, they have the desires, but they're not walking in the darkness. But then there is the flat out LGBTQ lifestyle that says, this is not sin. This is good. It's who I am. And are just living a open, unrepentant, gay lifestyle. There's a difference there. And we have to understand the difference between lifestyle that's unrepentant and a repentant pursuing Jesus in the struggle. And God is glorified in the struggle. We, we draw near to him and he gives us the strength. I pray that we become a church that is a truly welcoming church. A church where we see the wounded healed and the captives set free and a church that is displaying the stunning glory of God.